Grab your Bibles, would you please? Turn to Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians 4, as you're turning there, we started a new series called Surviving, or I should say, I'm sorry, not Surviving, but Thriving in Difficult Times. And we'll be going through the book of uh, Philippians verses 4 uh, through 8 over the few weeks. We will take a little diversion next week because we want to honor our graduates, and so there'll be a different message for next week. But uh, I'm excited to go through this. Before we do, I do want to pause, take a moment, give tribute and honor uh, to those who have served in the United States Armed Forces and have given their lives for our freedom. This is Memorial Day weekend, and I think we need to make sure we stop and pause and pay respect to those who have fallen. You may have a, lost a family member or a friend that has served in, in, for the United States. And uh, if not, you probably know somebody who is currently living and has served, and they probably lost somebody. So please be, be kind to that person. I'm sure um, they are hurting, and um, it, it's, it's a good time to just stop and say, God, thank you for the freedom we have. We're able to do this today because of that. Um, last week, I officiated uh, the funeral of Steve Myers and. He served in the Army, and, and listen, I, I don't like funerals, and this is sort of a dumb statement, right? I don't like funerals, but who does? But if there was a funeral that I would go to that I could say I appreciated somebody who served in the armed forces. See, as a Christian, I can go to a funeral and say, I know that person is a believer in Christ. I have hope that a lot of the world doesn't have. You have hope. For that person who's passed away, if they've got a relationship with Christ, you've got hope. So we don't grieve like others grieve, right? But for somebody who has served in the armed forces, there's something that takes place at the end of the funeral that makes me look at it and say, as a Christian, I, I truly honor and respect that moment. It's when somebody from a veteran will come off from the side, he'll march in, he'll grab the flag, and then he'll come and present it to a loved one. And then he'll step back and march back, get in line, there'll be a 21-gun salute, and then the plane taps. Uh, there's nothing more uh, honoring than that. And I was sent this message right after the second service. And this was from Ricky and uh, Sue Ann Bloomer. And Sue Ann said, in January 1968, my brother was lost in sea in Vietnam. Five days later, he was found. So we're one of those families that just got a flag draped casket. Just that I tell you, since it fit into the service. So there's some people, even within our church, that fully understand what I'm saying. And I just wanted to share that with you. Remember to take time this weekend to say, God, thank you for those who have served, served our country, those men and women, and they have sacrificed their lives. I'd like to pray right now uh, before we get into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for those men and women who sacrificially chose to serve our nation, to protect, to serve, and then they ended up losing their life. And Lord, I think of family members who got letters, who got that visit they did not want. They were those families that at funerals received one of those flags. They are families who look back and they know something's missing. So God, we thank you for their sacrifice and we know it wasn't easy. God, we also want to take time and say thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth 
to fight a war against sin and death. And your son Jesus was victorious. It cost him his life. He sacrificed and gave his life, but we now have freedom in Christ. So I thank you, Lord, for that sacrifice as well. God, we ask now that you just open our eyes to your word, and may we be blessed by what you have to say to us. In our name we pray. Amen. Hey, Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Turn there. We're going to start in verse 4. And I'll read a different translation as well. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considering all you do. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Another version reads, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's the translation I was using last week, and I will continue to use some of that uh, because it gives a, uh, a better look from the Greek as to what I, I want to make sure I share with you from his word. And, and the whole focus here is today, worry. Being anxious. Um, you know, you think about that, what is it? I think we can all define it, maybe, maybe not. But in case you don't know what the definition is, I'll throw it up on the screen there for you. It's to give way to anxiety or unease. To allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. It's mental distress or agitation resulting from concern, usually for something impending or anticipated. Probably don't need a definition, do we? Each of us already know what it means to be worried. All of us in this room have been anxious at one time or another. Some of you might have been anxious just coming in today. We all worry. Some of us more than others. seems we tend to worry obviously about bad things, but a lot of things we worry about are things that have even happened. I, last Sunday, during this service, for those of you who were in here, I don't know if you know this, but our air conditioning is on a timer. It shuts off at noon. So I'm up here under these lights, and I'm getting warm. And I'm thinking, man, I hugged Cabe. I hugged Luke Powers. I wonder if I got a fever. I'm like, am I, am I in trouble? You know, and it's, and it's like, see, I was worrying. And it's like, oh, wait, no, the air conditioner is off. I'm under the lights. And for me, worship is active, right? But we all worry about different things. Chuck Swindoll said this, worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. Isn't that good? There's a Swedish proverb that says, worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. Listen, no one in here likes to worry. We understand what worry can do to our health. It cripples relationships. It is physically exhausting. There's an anonymous quote, and I heard that actually Corey Ten Boom may have said this, but it's this. It's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. That good? There's another quote by Mary Crowley that says, Every evening I turn worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. Again, I love those quotes. But it's worry. We understand it. We can all be anxious, right? We can be anxious over the bad things, or the things that are coming. Listen, we can even be worrisome about good things. We heard something really good this week. On Friday, the President of the United States declared that churches are essential. That's great news. Now, our governor already declared that two months ago, which gave us freedom to do what we're doing a couple weeks ago, right, in doing this. But now nationally, 
our president declared that all churches are essential. That was great, but then the CDC put out a few more new guidelines to worship. As I'm looking at some of those new guidelines, and we've got guidelines in place, now I'm starting to get worried. Now, are we doing everything we can to protect? You know, you heard Pastor Paul say thank you for doing all that you're doing and signing up and distancing and good sanitary and hygiene and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're, we're doing everything we can. But then, is there more restrictions? Am I supposed to wear a mask? Am I, am I not supposed to wear a mask? Should I wear a spacesuit? I don't know what to do anymore, right? And so we get all worrisome, even though we just had great news. Bad news, good news. I'm just going to say this to you again. Love and unity. Thank you for doing what you're doing to make this as safe as possible. We'll continue to do our part as well. We still offer that online service. People can watch at home. We said if you're sick, you feel sick, if you're a high-risk person, if uh, you're a little anxious, if you're not ready to come back, that's okay. No judging. Love and unity. Come back when you're ready. And so I appreciate everyone, you know, again, you're eager to chat and hug and shake hands. And, you know, at the end of the service, we said dismiss by section. Because this, because this service is probably half full, you know, I'll put up at the end, dismiss by section. But I'm just going to dismiss you because you're spread out really good now as it is. But love and unity. Love and unity, right? So go back with the thought of we all worry, whether it's good or bad. Go back to verse 6 and look what it says. It says, don't worry about anything, good or bad, right? Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Or again, the other translation, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, I think about worry. I think about being anxious. As I'm reading here from Paul's writing, I look up this word. What does this word mean? Now, in the Greek, because it's written in Greek, the Greek word is marinao, which, like, I don't know what that means. It doesn't matter. Marinao basically means to be anxious, to be troubled, or to uh, be worried about something. It's found about 19 different places in the New Testament. Jesus uses it. Paul talks about it. And right here, it's primarily used to deal with people's provisions. Worrying about your finances, your food, your clothing, those daily needs that you have. That's what this word is focusing on. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my bills. I'm so worried about paying my apartment, you know, the rent. Do I have enough money to get groceries or, or to get the clothes I need? That's what this word is focusing on primarily. And Paul says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about anything. Matter of fact, the original translation says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. You guys know what the Greek word um, for nothing is, what it means? It means nothing. <laughs> That's really difficult, right? When basically Paul's saying, be anxious for nothing, what he meant was nothing. Nothing. Don't worry about it, right? But here's the thing, like every choice, when we choose to worry, when we choose to be anxious, there's always a consequence. Whether it's physical emotional, mental. But listen, church, when we worry, it can also cause spiritual problems. There's a couple of different scriptures in the New Testament. We're going to look them up. I'm going to throw them on the screen there for you. But worrying can keep us from serving God. We can be so worried about doing this, doing that, we forget to serve God. Worrying about things can divide a team. 
Worry and unity do not function well together. The body of Christ can easily be split or mad at each other because we're worrying about something. We're all anxious about something. He said, she said, and we get all worried about this. And guess what it just did? It just sort of split the church. It splits Christians. It splits teams, workplaces. Worry does that. Worrying about things can lead us away from worship. Which is amazing because we come to worship God, who is what? The great physician? The mighty healer? And yet we're so worried that we don't go worship him, the one who heals. Martha was worried. Disciples were worried. Timothy was worried. The list goes on through scripture. Different people that were worried. We all deal with worry, don't we? You do too. I do too. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're going to sort of look at this word a little bit more. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is, is not only talking to his disciples. He's got a larger crowd he's also talking to. And he says this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths can eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Then verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So what Jesus is saying back here in verse 19 is, we learn that the things we treasure, the things we store up in our lives can take up the wrong place. What we treasure controls us. So what are you treasuring? What are you storing up? Is it about money? Is it about power? Physical strength, your looks, shopping. Where does all your energy go? Where does all your time go? Is that become what you are storing up? Jesus says, be careful with that because whatever you're storing up, that's where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And you can't have two masters. You can't say, I'm all about this and God. It's challenging, isn't it? But think about this. What's it like to have two coaches? If I were to ask the athletes in here, have you ever had two coaches? What if you had two head coaches? One coach says to do one thing, another coach says to do the other. You're like, I, uh, which one am I supposed to do? It's confusing. And you're worried because you know you're going to upset one of the two. Oh, wait, what about two bosses? Some of you at work. What if you had two bosses and one boss says do this, another boss says that, and you're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do anymore. But, you know, and you start worrying about it. You're anxious because you don't want to lose your job. For those of you married, you ever have two spouses? Just sort of looking around. Okay, good. All right. I, I'm sitting there thinking, man, two spouses, there's no way. I can't even listen to one wife, let alone two. I mean, I struggled with that. You should have seen when I said that in the last service. Jenny, she had like laser beam eyes. She's like, Pew! I was like melting up here. It was pretty pathetic for me. But I was sitting there thinking about like, who do you listen to? If you had two bosses, two masters, two coaches... You can't. So Jesus is pretty wise here, right? So this is what he says. Verse 25. And keeping all that in mind, he goes, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they are? Now stop and ask yourself that question. 
How many of you, comparing your life to a bird, considers yourself more or less valuable to God? Raven, blackbird, I don't care, cardinal, and then you. Who's more valuable to God? Oh, God values the bird, but he values you so much more. And then he goes on to say this in verse 27. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Again, pause. Sometimes we go through scripture, we just zip right through it, right? Can worrying add time to your life? Does it add years? It subtracts. Worry usually subtracts, right? Why worry about your clothing, verse 28? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Verse 30. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today, thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Pause again. Are we letting the things of this world dominate our thoughts? God already knows your needs. Don't be like unbelievers. Unbelievers are like, what am I going to do this? How am I going to achieve this? How am I going to gather all this and hoard all this? And, and we get all caught up and God already knows your needs. He already knows it. Verse 33. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. And then you'll have everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Oh, ain't that true? When we look at this, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I'm telling you why not to worry. Look back to those other verses. and because I'm telling you why not to worry. And oh, by the way, that word means, it's like, it's a, it's a, a strong prohibition to stop doing something that you've already started. Jesus is looking at all these people and he's looking at us and saying, I know you're already worrying. I know you are already anxious. Stop. Stop. It isn't like, I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to give you some heads up, I'm, I'm giving you some preventive medicine here before it all happens. It's already happening, I know it is. Because in our pride, we're like, I'm not worried about anything, I'm all good. But back in the corner somewhere, maybe we got a little worried. And Jesus says, yeah, I know it's happening, stop. I've got this, right? We're going to find this same word Matthew 13, 22, and I bring this up because I want you to understand how worry affects us spiritually. When we see this word, and it's used in the parable of the seed and the sower, um, it says the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. See, there's a story where the seed was thrown among rocky soil and good soil and soil that thorns came up and crowded out. And, and there's the multiples. And we learn, oh, that's good, that's bad, as we learn this parable. But in this part, this verse, it says the seed that fell among, it says what? The thorns. It represents how God's word, how it's quickly, it says, crowded out. Again, translation is being very kind here. It means actually to be suffocated, to be smothered, to choke or to throttle. See, when God's word gets planted into our lives, but the worries of this world come in and choke God's word. It's like, I'm trying to have my quiet time, but I'm so worried about stuff right now. 
that's, that's what we're talking about. It's hard to get into God's word when we're so worried and anxious because worry and anxious crowds out. It chokes God's word, producing no fruit. It affects us spiritually. That's why Paul is pleading with us here. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Church, what's bothering you? I mean, we really need to pause. I can keep preaching, but it does no good if I don't pause every now and then and allow you to sort of ask some tough questions. What's bothering you right now? What are you worried about right now? What is it that's taken up a lot of place in your mind and you just say, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to ever get better. I'm going to urge you right now, whatever it is that you're worried about, you have Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of his heavenly Father, interceding in prayer for us right now. And as you pray, Jesus sort of hands that off to God. And God's like, I got this. Would you right now just go ahead and lay those at his feet? You don't even have to close your eyes. You don't have to bow your head in prayer. Just right now, just simply say, Lord, I've been worried about this. I've been very anxious about this. Just right now, just give it to him. You don't need to let it keep bothering you. Your Savior said he's already taken care of it. He's got these huge, loving, capable hands that's ready to take them from you. When we allow worry to dominate our hearts and minds, we miss the opportunity to worship God. What's distracting you from prayer? What's distracting you from singing? What's distracting you from worshiping? Remember, we've already established so far, we said during difficult and discouraging and desert-like times, what do we say? The first thing, prayer is essential. It's not optional. It's essential. And as Paul's writing this letter from prison, he's not focusing on loneliness. He's not focusing on the lack of freedom. He's not focusing on the shackles. He's focusing on God. That's why he says, rejoice, where? In the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. As he's praying He's like, you know where my first focus needs to be? On God. On the almighty, sovereign God. So my focus is there as I pray. And so as I pray, I, he is focused on God. He is fueled by joy. He decides to remain calm and let the sovereign, almighty God handle his worries and problems, right? And take his battles. Because we know that he says in that very next verse, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. God's got this. You know what? You know why I can be gentle right now? You know why I'm not so worked up right now? Because God's going to fight for me. I can be calm. I don't have to get worked up. God's got this. He is near. So he said, during these difficult times, pray. Remember, your prayer is founded on who God is. Rejoice in that. Be filled with joy. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let people see that you're trusting God to fight your battles. He's near. We've focused on that, right? We talked about how God is near with us all the time. Now, that's what Scripture is telling us. You've seen the principles. You've seen it taught. You've seen it preached, right? Now let's see it in a story. Let's go to a biblical story and see this played out. Go to the Old Testament with me. Second Chronicles chapter 20. That's, well, that's Old Testament, okay? So you get the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Boom, there you are. Everybody there? Second Chronicles 20. If you don't have a Bible, we can't hand one to you because we're following the guidelines. Okay, uh, it's up on the screen. Second Chronicles 20. 
And this is just a great story. It says, After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Has anybody ever heard the phrase, Jumping Jehoshaphat? Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? I've always wondered where that came from. And as I was reading this, and I've read this story before, but it never hit me till the this past week. I'm going, Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat. No wonder the dude is jumping. He's got three armies coming after him. He's probably jumping all over. His nerves are so jumpy right now. I don't know if that's where they came up with that phrase. but And if you know that phrase, it just said something about my age right there, right? All right. Goes on verse 3, say, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. He begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So you see what happens? He's got this huge problem. Three armies. That's pretty massive. Coming in to destroy him. Reason to worry. Reason to be anxious. What do I do? Deep breaths. Yoga. Right? That will calm me. No, 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 no. Let's get everybody together. We're going to pray and fast. So he gets his nation together. In fear and worry and an anxious attitude, the prayer order comes out. Pray fast. Pray fast. And they did. They gathered everybody. And check out what he prayed in verse 6. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who's in heaven. You are ruler over all the kings of the earth. And you are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Do you see what he's doing? He's doing what Jesus instructed us to do when we pray. How then should we pray, Jesus? Pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, Jesus instructed that when we pray to God, we start by who is God and how awesome he is. So Jehoshaphat here is like, hey, let's pray. God, you alone are the God in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful. You are mighty. Do you see what he's doing here? He's like proclaiming who God is. Okay, now that I proclaim that, God, I've got, got a favor to ask of you. I've got a request, right? Verse 12. Oh, God, won't you stop them? We're powerless against this mighty army that's about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. Honest. Men and women need to honestly come before God. Recognize who he is and be real with our anxiety, real with our worry. God, here's my problem. <laughs> Can you stop him? Come out. Didn't he just say, you're a mighty ruler, God? Lord over everything, right? And then he's like, Can you stop him? <laughs> well, if he is who he just claimed he was, then yes. Right? But he's honest with God. And here's, the, here's what happens next. Suddenly the Spirit of God just starts speaking through somebody out in there that that there's praying. Now, we don't know who it is, but this is what God said in that prayer. God says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Do you ever hear that? Can I, can I just share this with you right now? If you've got worry and anxiety, that's not yours. It's not yours. That's God's. God will battle for you. Quit carrying it. Goes on to say, tomorrow, verse 16, march out against them. You'll find them coming up to the ascent of Ziz and the end of the valley and opens into the wilderness of Jeril. Verse 17, but you will not 
even need to fight. Now listen to the instructions. Take your positions. Stand still. Watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be discouraged or be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. That's an incredible scripture. You know, I know there's people in here memorizing verses. This would be great scripture to memorize right here. Do you hear what God told Jehoshaphat to do? He said, here, go take your position. All right, now what? Now stand still. Okay, now what? Watch God win. Isn't that awesome? Verse 18 goes on to say, Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. When's the last time you saw thousands of people in unity fall to the Lord and pray? I'm going to say zero. We've maybe seen one or two people get on their knees and pray. You've maybe gotten on your knees and pray. You may be gone to a worship conference somewhere and you see a couple people, dozens, maybe a hundred. But when's the last time you saw a nation gather and humbly admit they needed God's help and they bowed? We could use some of that in our nation. To humbly bow on the ground with our face to God. Saying, God, we need you. But sometimes our pride just doesn't allow us to do that, does it? This is true worship going on here. And then it says the next morning they set out for battle. Can you imagine what that looked like the next morning? They just prayed. They fasted. They're on their knees. And then their faces hitting the ground just bowing before God. And God said, hey, take your position. Stand still. Watch the victory because I'm with you. And the next morning they go out. Okay, guys. Okay, who's got the swords? Who's got the shields? Who's got the bows and arrows, right? Hey, bring that catapult. We might want to fling some rocks at them, right? Uh-uh. Look at verse 21. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Whoa, time out. Who? Slingers, right? They're slinging stones. There's a misprint. They left out the L. No. Singers. The choir. Singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy slender. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Are you kidding me? This is our battle strategy? Put the choir out front. I, that sounds like a scared gentleman to me. I don't want to get shot. Put the choir out there. Put the choir out front. And what's, what are they going to sing? Give thanks. Why? You're in the front. Right? You know who the first one to get shot is? The person in the front. I don't know. If you're in the choir, it's like, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't, right? I signed up to sing, not swing a sword. Look at verse 22. At the very moment they began to sing. All right, first note, ready? Uh, and they start singing. Look what happens. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. They fought each other. How crazy is that? It goes on to say in verse 24. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies laying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy was alive. Or escaped. The battle was over before it ever began. You guys ever read this story before? Isn't this a cool story? Lead with prayer and fasting, then worship, then song. Hey, God is near. God is victorious, right? Look at verse 25. 
King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found the vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There's so much more plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. And on the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. Guys, we've got three days of stuff. It took us three days to collect all this. Not only did we not get harmed, not one of us has a scratch on us from a battle. We are blessed with clothing and food and riches. God just blessed us. Hey, let's name this place the Valley of Blessing. And so it was. Well, they're not done yet. Look at verse 27. Then all the men returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, overjoyed that the Lord had given them the victory over the enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps and lyres and trumpets, and they proceeded to the temple of the Lord. This is very important. They just had a major victory. What do they do? Let's go back to where we worship. Let's go to the temple, because the first thing we need to do is thank God. Let's sing together and thank God. After the battle, giving thanks, that's what you do. Listen, church, are you worried? Do you feel anxious, outnumbered, under-resourced? The Bible's full of stories of words of hope and encouragement. They're right there. So what are we supposed to do? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Did you, did you see where the thanksgiving falls? Right between prayer and let your request be made known to God, right? Right there is thanksgiving. It's right in the middle. That's usually where the good stuff is. That's the burger in between the buns. It's the nutter butter peanut butter sandwich cookie with the little peanut butter stuff in the middle. You, you take them off and you scrape off the, the peanut butter in your pile and you scrape it off in your pile and you eat the other stuff and then you, you form the peanut butter together and you put it in a ball and then you eat that ball. Last. Am I the only one that does that? I'm the only one that does that. I'm going to tell you, it's good stuff. It's like the Oreo. That, the nutter butter is like my, it might be your Oreo. I don't know. But the good stuff's in the middle, right? Look at this verse. Prayer. Present request to God with thanksgiving. All the good stuff is right in the middle. I'm telling you, gratitude, being thankful, changes your attitude. You, know, you probably heard that. Gratitude changes attitude, right? We only talk about gratitude at Thanksgiving time, right? Oh, it's Thanksgiving, so we ought to be thankful. We ought to talk about it all the time. All the time. I read a story that really spoke to me concerning this, just thinking about my worries and how to give my worries to God. Because I want to be living a thankful life. I don't want to be having a sour attitude. I want to have a, a good attitude. And I want to be thankful. But i got to get rid of my worries and my anxiety. So I heard this story. It's about a carpenter. And he had hired another person to help him. And so this carpenter hired this other man to help him. And um, they were going to restore an old farmhouse. And they just finished the first day on the job. And the guy he just hired, he had a flat tire on his uh, vehicle. that made him an hour late to work. And then... Uh, his electric saw quit on him, and then his old pickup truck uh, refused to run. It wouldn't start. So the carpenter said, I'll, I'll take you home. So he drove this guy to his house. He knew he was having a rough day, right? And when he arrived at the home, the gentleman looked at the carpenter and said, hey, you want to come in and meet my family real quick? Sure. 
So they walked up to the house. And as they walked up to the house, the gentleman stopped and he just reached up and touched the tree. There's a tree and he touched Lynn with both his hands and then continued to walk into the house. His face changed and a big smile. Hugged his kids, greeted his wife with a big kiss. Introduced him to his new boss. And then he walked his boss back out to say goodbye. And his boss looked at him, got, his curiosity got the best of him. He's like, okay, um, i got to ask you about the tree thing. Why did you stop before you went in the house and grabbed the tree? He goes, oh, that's my worry tree. See, I, I know every day is filled with problems and troubles. And so when I come home, I hang my troubles on the tree. Because I don't want to take it into the house with my family. And every morning when I come out of the house, I usually get ready to pick back up my troubles to take them back with me to work. But a lot of times, those troubles are gone. You know, every day, we walk by a cross in our life. A tree that Christ hung on for us. Every day, we're filled with troubles and worries and problems. I want to encourage you, church. Our Savior died on that tree to remove your worries, to remove your anxiety. We can come to the cross anytime and give them to Him, our Savior. He wants to take them from you. He wants to remove the worries and anxiety. Will you? I encourage you to not be worried, to not be anxious. But go to the Lord God Most High who sent His Son to die for you because He wants to remove all that junk. Yes. Dave, to come forward. This past week, um, <clears throat> I went to the dentist and the chiropractor. Sort of a double whammy, right? Actually, going to the dentist isn't bad. It's a great place to go. Oh, Phil's not in here. He, he took Abe out? Okay. <laughs> I knew Phil was in here. Anyway, um, when I, before I got into the dentist office, into the chiropractor, they made me, uh, they said I, I sent my car and I had to text to let them know I was there. And then they came out and took my temperature. They told me, they said, they called me, they said, hey, when you come tomorrow, just remain in your car, text us, we'll come out, we'll take your temperature, then you can come in and um, see the dentist. And I was like, okay. I got worried. I'm like, I hope I pass. I mean, does anybody ever get worried about taking a test? And I'm thinking... They're going to take my temp. What if I don't pass? What if I don't get in? I've, I feel good. But what if they say I'm not good enough to come in? I got a little worried, right? Good news is they let me in. Both places. It's all good, right? But I, I need to ask you a question. I need to ask you this question. Let's say when we die, we end up at the gates of heaven. And let's say that God is standing there at, at the gates of heaven and he looks at us. Now, with the temperature, the thermometer, take your temperature. But he stands there and he says, Rex, why should I let you into heaven? What if that's you? What's your answer? See, everybody in this room, you need to have an answer. If you don't have an answer, you're in trouble. If, you, if you're not even sure what your answer is, you're probably getting a little worried right now, Right? That's what I'm saying. Doubt cause worry. I want to remove this doubt about eternity from you today. 
I want you beyond the shadow of a doubt to know exactly what happens when you pass away. When eternity arrives. You don't have to worry about that. I know this. When I get to heaven, if there were gates like this and God was standing there and he asked me a question, here's what I would say. God, I know you love me. I believe it. You love me so much. And, and God, thank you because I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. I made mistakes all the way up to the day I died. And you forgave me for those mistakes. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, just for me to save me. And I admit I'm a sinner and I confess it. And I believe your son died for me. So I've confessed my sins to you, God. You said, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me. So God, thank you for forgiving me. God, you also said, if, you, if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm saved. And I believe that. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God looks at me and says, come on, Max. Can you say the same thing? Maybe not word for word, but can you say that? What's your answer? I don't want you to leave this place worried. I don't want you to walk out here anxious about eternity. I want that to be settled now. I want you to be worry-free on that issue. All these other issues that we have, we already talked about it. Give them to God. Let Him fight your battle. Let Him fight your battle. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now, if there's somebody in this room that they are unsure of how to answer that question, that right now, they get it figured out. Right now, they're able to have all doubt removed because they know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what they would say. And if they don't, God, right now, let's get this right with you. There's somebody in here in this room this morning and you need to pray that prayer, then pray that prayer. Tell God that you love him. Admit to him that you've sinned, that you've messed up. Confess those sins. Thank him for sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. Ask him to be your savior. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him the Lord of your life. Heavenly Father, I believe a lot of us in this room, maybe we've already, we've already prayed that prayer, but some of us who've already prayed that prayer, we're anxious about other things. We're worried about other things. God, we admit this morning that we've carried worry too long. We've allowed anxiety to be a best friend. God, help us right now to leave those at your feet hang them on the cross to the tree that you died upon for us. God, we give these things to you knowing that you'll take care of it. Thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice in you. That we can rest knowing that you're fighting the battle for us because we know you're near. We know we come to you to pray and we pray with thanksgiving, not worry, thanksgiving. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.